0: All right, let's go to Jonah. So if you've got your Bibles and you want to follow along on the screen, let's go back to Jonah. Uh, Lord willing, we're going to have one more teaching in Jonah. Uh, I hope you've been rereading the story with me uh, over the last few weeks. We have spent a couple times on Jonah. We kind of went through the story of Jonah. Now I kind of want to go back into some of the details and just kind of talk about some of the more in-depth theological points uh, about God and about our life here. So we've gone through the whole story. Keep reading it, okay, keep reading it. Uh, repetition is kind of the mother of all learning. You just gotta read and reread and reread and let, let God just speak to you. And, and how many of you have the experience that you read the story and almost every time when you read it, concentrating wise, you see something you didn't see the first time you read through it. Isn't that the way it is? It's just dynamic, it's, it's, it's alive. Now, this is much more than a fish tale, it's much more than, than a children's story. It's got some really, really important things. It's a really deep story, no, no pun intended, maybe it was. Uh, it, it's a really deep story that, that addresses some really big issues in, in our lives. Uh, God gives us this in story form. This is not necessarily a bunch of prophecies. You know, whenever you have something from a prophet, you usually have a bunch of uh, prophecies or visions or something like that that's, that's uh, given to God's people. But Jonah's different than all of that. Jonah is actually a story about a prophet's life. So God gives us this this story that is going to teach us a lot about life and a lot about him and how he deals with us. So Jonah is a rebellious prophet, isn't he? He, He's a reluctant prophet. We'd be nice and call him reluctant. But he's really rebellious. And he's really a hypocritical man, really. And he has an encounter in this story with a merciful God who is at work to save him. And to bring him back to his senses, literally. It's, it's a beautiful picture and portrait of God's grace even to a hard-headed bunch of people. Even to this hard-headed man. It's, it's God's picture of grace right here. The story of Jonah is God's picture of grace in the midst of a sin-sick world. God is working in all of this whole story to say, Jonah, he's working on behalf of Nineveh, which is the most wicked place on the planet now at this particular time. Nineveh is the worst place on the planet. It's the superpower. It's known for its brutality and violence. It conquers people. It it, it kills the leaders of the people it conquers. I mean, it, it really is brutal. I don't want to get into all those details, but we could do a historical study on the Assyrian Empire. and It was a brutal place. But God is at work to save even the worst of us in this story. You see what I'm talking about? Now, let's read the first three verses. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying. Now right away, you're supposed to laugh because if you know anything about Jonah's name, his name means dove, which dove's kind of a bird of peace and kind of one of the messenger birds in the Bible. Amittai means faithfulness. Now re- let's read it with that. So now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the dove, the, the, the son of faithfulness. See, it's kind of a comic point, really, because who's the most unfaithful person in the whole story? Jonah is, isn't he? All right. So it's kind of we're being set up here. Verse two. Arise. Is, this is the word to Jonah. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Did you see anything repeated twice in that verse? You see that from the presence of the Lord. That's Jonah's mind. He he wants to get away from God. So this is what he does. Remember our map? We've shown you this map a couple times. Jonah is in this region, this, this little slither right over there between those two areas. Right, right about where Joppa is, uh, that's, that's the land of Israel, right in that general area right there. So Jonah is called to go to Nineveh. Nineveh is to the east. It, it, it's in modern day Iraq, actually. Okay? He's called to go to Nineveh. But instead, he goes down to Joppa, grabs a ship, and then sails all the way across the Mediterranean Sea. He wants to go to Tarshish. And now the interesting thing about Tarshish is, uh, according to their minds in that particular ancient world, it was the, the end of the earth. The, the new world over here in, in the, the east, or excuse me, in the west, going over into Britain and into the United States, has not been discovered by these European folks, what we call them Europeans today. Hadn't been discovered by them there. So this is the last seaport that they know of. So in Jonah's mind, he's saying, now you see the, see the picture? He's saying, I'm not going there. I'll tell you where I'm going to go. I'm going to go as far away as I possibly can and I'm going to get away from all of this. And not just all of this, but I'm kind of upset with God. I'm getting away from him too. You see the futility in that statement? But that's what he does. And guess who else does that kind of stuff? Guess who sometimes finds themselves running from God or running from an assignment or running from a call or running from something God has asked us or commanded us to do? Who else finds themselves from time to time doing that very same thing? So we, we, we see right away that the book of Jonah, as a lot of the stories in the Bible are, they're written to be like a mirror so that you don't only see Jonah in the story. Who are you supposed to see in this story? We see him. Yes, we see him. But we see us as well. We find ourselves in similar situations. I want to talk about three particular things, the three really big topics in the Bible. So we're not going to be able to hit everything about these topics today. But let's, let's kind of get some ideas about sin about judgment, and about repentance. Can you say those three with me? Sin, judgment, and repentance. Let's look at this from Jonah's perspective. The idea of sin, okay? The scripture speaks of it as missing the mark. Like if there was a bullseye here, the the idea would be to hit that bullseye, right? The idea of sin is to miss that bullseye or to miss the mark, so to speak. You see what I'm talking about? But not like an accident, It's not like I'm just not a good shot or I just accidentally missed the mark. Sin in the Bible is portrayed more like an intentional choice to miss the mark. Did we see that happening in Jonah's life? Did did Jonah just accidentally get on the ship going to the wrong place? No, and we didn't either, did we? (laughs) But there's another idea of sin in the Bible. Sin is often characterized as a power. It's it's almost like it's it's personified in in the Scriptures. It's it's like a, a power, okay? I'm talking about the kind of power that literally seeks to take over your life. It's the kind of power that seeks to take over your thoughts, to take over your actions if you let it. It's the kind of power that, as Jesus would talk about, the thief that comes, it's the kind of power that comes into our lives to tempt us and to pull us off course in order to steal. To steal everything you got, really. He wants your material stuff too, but but he he wants to steal, he wants to kill, and he wants to destroy, as our master has said. Sin is this idea, this power that glorifies what is bad, hides the consequences from you, and demeans what is good. It's seen as a power. Let's play this out in in the scriptures. Uh, Go over to Genesis 4 in your mind with me. Genesis 4, okay? So if we, if we kind of get the story of the Bible, you've got Genesis 1 and 2 are the stories of creation, right? It's, it's two separate stories of creation told from different perspectives. Adam and Eve are created and all the six days of creation. On the seventh day, God rested in chapter 1. And then chapter 2 gives us a little bit more insight about Adam and Eve. Chapter 3 gives us a little bit more insight on what's actually wrong with our world and the idea of this, this power or sin coming into our world. Now, what we have in Genesis chapter 4, well, chapter 3, we call it the fall. Genesis 4 has the story. It's the very first case study, if I can say this, after Eden, after everything was good in paradise, sin has now entered into the world. Genesis 4 is the very first study of what the world now looks like under the power of sin. It's the story of Cain and Abel. Remember that story? Cain and Abel, what, what, do, do we know anything about Cain and Abel? What were they? They were brothers, right? They were brothers, Cain and Abel. Now, Cain and Abel make a sacrifice to God, long story short, they make a sacrifice to God. Abel brings a, a lamb of his flocks. Uh, Cain brings the, the, the crops that he's, he's planted. He's a farmer. Abel's a shepherd. They bring their wares to God to worship. They place them on the altar. Long story short, God is pleased with Abel's sacrifice. Not just because it was a lamb, but because there was something in the idea of of Abel's heart as he offered it in faith as worship to God. God did not receive Cain's sacrifice. I don't believe it wasn't because it was a lamb, because there are all kinds of other offerings that God receives as far as grain offerings and farmers bringing their fruits and and stuff like that uh, to the Lord. There's all kinds of offerings like that in the scripture. So it's not just that it's a lamb versus uh, produce. Something was wrong with Cain's heart. And you know what? You can offer up a good thing in the wrong way and it doesn't work. And that's what Cain does. Something happens right there in this transaction between him and God. I don't know if he just brought whatever he had instead of his best. I don't know. We're not given that information. But something was wrong with the sacrifice and the one bringing and the worshiper. Something was wrong there. And God did not receive Cain's sacrifice. Cain took it very personally. And instead of correcting his course and correcting his own behavior and going back and doing better and doing what's right, he decides in his heart, instead of him doing what's right, it would be better for me to kill my brother. Something that's going on in our nation today, actually. Now, God is so merciful here. I mean, it just seems to me that that if I was God, at that particular moment in time, I would have just... Just squished him like a bug. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, we're done here. I'm, I'm glad I'm not God because I, 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 there would have been a time in my life where I would have been the bug <laughs> that got squished, you know? God sees all this churning inside of Cain and God in his great mercy comes down and talks with Cain. It's a great conversation. You ought to read it sometime. It's in Genesis 4. I think we'll read pieces of it, but go read that whole encounter. God gives Cain some insight about sin and about how it works. And he gives him insight about what Cain does not see in the darkness. There's something lurking in the darkness that Cain doesn't see. If he makes the wrong decision right here, he is going to be prey, okay? Listen, verse six and seven of chapter four. So the Lord said to Cain, imagine having a conversation with God, just like, just like we would talk in conversation. He says, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? That's a great question. isn't it? If you and I would do the right thing, will we not be accepted? I, didn't, I don't just like Abel over you. If you do the right thing, you'll be accepted. And if you do not, here's the, here's the nature of sin. If you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over that. Now, there's a picture right there in in the original language. It's a wonderful picture, and it's a a horrific picture, actually. If you don't do what's right, if you make the wrong decision and miss the mark intentionally, Cain, I'm I'm coming to you and telling you what's right and wrong in this situation, so you don't have an excuse here, brother. I'm telling you to do the right thing. I'm telling you even what the right thing is. We we seem to see that in the story, that Cain really knows what to do, but he just refuses to. He says if you don't do the right thing, if you choose to go this path, then sin lies right at the door. The Hebrew word right there is a picture of a crouching tiger that is waiting to pounce. It doesn't have authority yet. But when you walk through that door, boom, it's going to pounce on you and it's going to eat your lunch. That's what God tells them about the nature. See, sin is this power that when you and i choose intentionally to go the wrong way to miss the mark that sin lies in the darkness lurking waiting like a lion or a tiger over its prey waiting on you to make that wrong decision and boom the trap is set anybody know that kind of story you didn't think through that thing very well and the next thing you know you're in a mess above messes you know Interesting, though, God says, he he said, that sin desires to have you. It desires to rule over you, but you should rule over it. You see the empowerment there that God gives to Cain and to us that you can make the right decision. And brother, if you make the right decision, you're going to have power over it instead of it having power over you. All right. Now, Paul goes into some more detail to teach us in Romans 6. And some of my favorite passages in all the scriptures, Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8. I love that, that, but it's very, very dense and you got to kind of really stay with the whole thought. He says this in 6.16 about sin now. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin, which will lead to death, or of obedience, leading to righteousness. Do you see that sin right here? I'm talking about that power again sin is presented as an evil taskmaster that if you ever give it control it will take you all the way down into death you see that but obedience can take you to the right place all right now back to john all right he makes a choice doesn't he is it accidental or is it intentional he he knows what he's doing doesn't he i mean he went down there to the ticket booth bought the ticket He knows what he's doing, right? He makes a choice to sin and then absolutely this power starts happening in his life. It just gets worse and worse and worse. Now question here, what was Jonah's chief sin? I mean, he he does a lot of things in the story, but but what what, what do you think was his chief problem? What was his chief sin? He he, he disobeyed, didn't he? He willfully disobeyed. Here's the way I want you to see it. He was determined to be the captain of his own ship. (laughs) And that's kind of funny if you know the story. Because what happens to his ship that he captains, that he chartered? What happened to his ship? Yeah, it's in trouble. It's in big trouble. His choice was, God, I want to be free. Now, see, there was a a few moments in Jonah's story, probably. Now, we don't get this, but we infer it on the text. There was a few moments in Jonah's story as he leaves the port of Joppa right there, and he sails across the Mediterranean. We're not sure how long it took, how how far he got. But I I, kind of like to think that he was standing out on the deck of that ship, enjoying the breeze blowing through his hair, you know, like the Titanic pose. Y'all know this? Yeah, never mind. That's bad. He was enjoying it because for a moment he thought he was free. But he was headed to prison. You know what I'm talking about? We, we kind of feel that way. He wanted to be free from God. This is my moment. I'm finally free. I don't have to go that way. All right? Now, let me just give you just a few things. I'll just start with This sin makes you okay sin makes you selfish we see this in jonah's life this power took over his life he turned in his mind what he was going to do and then he did it sin always makes you selfish or self-centered you see that in jonah's life how does he feel about nineveh i mean he don't give a flip about them people does he i mean he don't care i mean he don't care now He's got reason not to care it's a brutal empire they may have killed some of his friends they're known for their brutality he's got good reason but he absolutely has no regard for the lost people in the city of nineveh what about the sailors on the boat what what did he what did he i mean maybe it was inadvertently i don't i don't know that he was just that terrible of a guy that he just did this on purpose it just kind of was a consequence of all this the deal the people that were on the boat with him, what did he do with them? I mean, what, 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 was, what was the consequence in their life? I mean, they're on the ship with Jonah. The storm is because of Jonah. And they're in the storm because of who? And Jonah has no idea what he's doing. And and sin oftentimes does that. It makes us so selfish and so self-centered that we literally do not understand nor have regard for those people in our lives that our sin and our selfishness literally can destroy their lives. Because this is true about sin. Something else is true about this power. Nobody sins in a vacuum. Everybody's sin always affects somebody else. I can promise you. I know that from my own experience and from pastoring for many, many years. And what about God? Well, Jonah really doesn't have much regard for God, does he? He is so in to himself. He is so centered himself. He is so put himself on his own throne, the throne of his own heart, that he no longer regards God's word as what it really is. The word of the king. Sin makes you selfish, doesn't it? Hmm. It affects everything around you, but you're usually blind to it. He's utterly deceived. Now, Jesus talks about this. Now, this, this idea of following him and, and, and getting rid of this idea of self-centeredness. Jesus really speaks to this. Now, this is a, the kind of sermon right here that Jesus preaches is the kind of sermon where everybody would say, what? And nobody would really say, amen, preach it, brother. That's good stuff. Because it would hit you so hard between the eyes, you'd you'd be stunned for a moment. Listen to what Jesus says. Matthew 16, 24 through 26. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him or her deny himself, and take up his cross, and follow me. Huh. The, if you're going to come follow after Jesus, Jesus says the first thing you've got to do is to deny yourself. What in the world is that? Now, is that an easy thing to do? That's almost against human nature, isn't it? It's almost against human nature to put yourself second, because most of us are presidents of our own fan club. You know what I'm talking about? If you don't believe it, go get on Facebook and Instagram. You don't believe that? You know what? I'm never mind. I've done messed up. <laughs> And Jesus says, one of the things that's got to happen in a person's life is they step off the throne of their life and they learn to deny themselves and take up the cross, take up their cross and follow him. Now listen to what he says. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Now this is the great irony of the gospel. If you desire to save your life and do your thing like Jonah did, you're going to lose, you're going to lose big. But, Whoever loses his life or denies himself, loses his life for my sake, will find it. I mean, you find out to be true. That's one of the great paradoxes of the Bible. You try to have a life and you'll lose your life. You give up your life and humble yourself. You'll find where life really lives. (laughs) You'll find it. And Jesus asked some real probing questions here. For what profit is it to a man or a woman if they gain the whole world and lose their own soul? What profit is that? If you get to the end of the race and God says, game over. You can gain everything in the world. The money, the fame, the whatever you, whatever you think is success, you gain it. But if you lose your soul, what good was that kind of transaction? What did you gain? You didn't, you lost. Maybe that's why Jesus calls people that don't know him, he calls them lost people. They're lost already. And then he asked this question. What will a person give in exchange for their soul? Huh. How valuable is your soul? What, what would you exchange? We got a little business transaction to do. What, what would you take you well the implied answer is nothing but actually there is an answer to that what would people give in exchange for their soul well they give a lot there's people all the time you've heard the old idea of sell your soul to the devil well a lot of people do that inadvertently not even realizing what they're doing sometimes what would you give in exchange for your soul? well a lot of people would give the opportunity to have a whole lot of money in exchange for their soul, they do it all the time. They lie, cheat, steal, do whatever they get, have to do in order to get whatever they want. And in the, in a, in the whole process of, of the whole transaction, they give away who they really are for that. And at the end of the day, they lose. Oh, In, in this world, you may seem like somebody. But when you get before God, it'll be payday someday. You know, that kind of thing. What would a person give in exchange for his soul? I would like everybody to say, I'm not giving anything in exchange for my soul. I'm not going to sell out. That's kind of the term we use. I'm not going to do that. See, this idea of sin takes us down this road to make that wrong exchange. Sin makes you stubborn. Do you see Jonah getting more stubborn as he goes? He just hardens himself to reality. He hardens himself to what's going on. There's a storm going on, and he doesn't really care. He could have humbled himself, but instead he hardens himself. He refuses. He, he could have turned back to God when the wind started blowing, when the rain started falling, when the waves started crashing, when the boat started rocking. He could have, he could have but he didn't. He could have repented. He could have turned back to God when the, when the sailors came to him and said, Hey, man, you know what? It's time to pray. It ain't time to play. It's time to pray. And, and these pagans are telling the prophet to pray. Isn't that funny? <laughs> They're praying and they, wake up, call out to your God. And then they start throwing everything overboard. Their livelihood, they start throwing all their commerce overboard, all the, the stuff that they were taking wherever they were going. All, their business is, is this, this whole idea of their business today is lost because of Jonah. Jonah could have repented and said, hey guys, don't, don't do this, man. I have made a mess of this whole thing. I would just, but what does Jonah do instead? He just gets more stubborn. Anybody know any stubborn people? <laughs> I can be one sometimes. <laughs> he just gets more stubborn and more hard. The Bible calls this, from time to time you see this picture, this word picture, of people getting stiff-necked. You know, just refusing to turn to the right way. Just stiff, stiff-necked. Stiff-necked. You know, if we had that yoke right here, remember that yoke we talk, talked about a while back? That yoke, if I was going to get, if I was a farm animal, I was going to be stiff-necked, that meant I didn't want to get in there. I just stiffened my neck. Anybody ever have a, a horse or, or a mule or a cow or something like that? Just did it, just, or donkey, just, or goat, whatever, or a few, just, just stiffen their neck against the pull of the master. Jonah does that. He gets so stubborn, refusing to turn back to God and so unplugged, he, he so denies reality that he goes to sleep. <laughs> now again, why, why is he going to, to Tarshish? Why is he going? To get away from God, okay? So here's my third point. Sin makes you stupid. <laughs> and I've made some really stupid choices in my life. Now I didn't think it was so stupid at the time. I thought it was maybe Anybody had this experience? You get what you want and you find out you don't want what you got. Anybody ever had that? Oh my Lord have mercy. Thank God for all the prayers he did not answer. <laughs> Because sin really will make you stupid. He's going to Tarshish, and the futility of his idea is to run from the God who is everywhere, ever present, the God of the land and the sea, to quote his own verbiage, the God of the land and the sea. I'm going to get away from that God. Is that stupid or what? And some people spend their whole life on that wave. And then Jonah is so silly. And so stupid that he thinks he can just sleep this off and he'll wake up in Oz in some kind of fairyland and life's going to be okay. (laughs) Kind of the proverbial stick your head in the sand kind of thing. You know what I'm talking about? And then another silly idea Jonah has, his solution to the whole problem. Guys, I got a solution. Okay, the lots fell on me. Y'all, we, we, y'all rolled the dice, cast the lots. They pointed to me. Yes, I'm guilty. I'm, I'm a Hebrew prophet. I'm supposed to be following God. I chose not to. I'm running away from Him right now. This whole storm's because of me. And I tell you what, I got an idea. I got a solution. This is a really good idea. This is what I want you to do. This will solve your problems and mine. Kill me. Just throw me in the sea and let me drown. Sin will take you there now. And the last thing I want you to say about sin here is sin is a slippery slope. It's a slippery slope. Can you say it with me? It's a slippery slope. Don't say it too many times. (laughs) Kind of get your tongue going. Notice, you know, I, I put out a little message to you and I said, hey, read the first two chapters and I want you to look for the word down. Remember, I asked you to do that. The word down. Because sin always takes you down. Here's the, here's, the, here's the deception. Sin promises to lift you up, but in reality, it always brings you down. It takes you right down into death. Now, when we think of the word death, we think of the grave. Now, that will certainly take you there too. But what about this idea of death? The death of who we really are or could be? The death of our dreams? The death of our relationships? You know, sin will literally kill every relationship you've got if you let it. It'll take you, it'll kill you peace, it'll kill you joy, it'll kill everything good in your life. So it promises to take you up. It promises you freedom always leads you to bondage. It promises to take you up, but it always brings you down. Now listen to this. three says this. He went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, and he went, what? Down into it. He went down into the ship to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. 1.5 says this, But Jonah had gone down, down, down into the lowest parts of the ship, had laid down and was fast asleep. You think the author knows what he's talking about right here? Sin all the way. And you can go and read Romans 1 and 2, and you'll see the downward spiral of sin where it just absolutely waxes worse and worse. It's this downward spiral that sucks you right into death. Sin's not a good thing. It'll suck you down in denial and depression too. You see the idea down, down. And then you got chapter 2. Chapter 2 is about Jonah's downward descent. Into, well, as he's in the belly of the monster, he's in the belly of the fish, he's in the belly of the beast, and he's there going down and down and down. The water's crashing on him. In 2.6 he says this, I went down to the moorings, or the bottoms, of the of the mountains, so, so where did the beast take him? I mean it swallowed him up. Boom. Which is a prophetic picture. The prophets speak about that. Sin will come and swallow you up. Jonah lives that out. And it takes him down. Into the depths of the sea. Down to the bottoms. Of the mountains. To say it real plainly. It's right here. As sin takes Jonah down, Jonah literally hits rock bottom. Now, let's talk about that. Because sin always leads to judgment of some kind. Okay, judgment. Everybody say judgment. Now, judgment is oftentimes the consequences of our sins, our choices. Or it may even be the consequences of someone else's sins, someone else's choices. This idea of judgment. Judgment. If you want to start a good conversation with somebody, just talk about the judgment that is to come. That would be a great conversation. More. It's not a very popular subject. Is we don't like to speak about or even think about that reality, but there will be payday someday for all of us, whether here in this life or the life to come. Sometimes we've got a hard time with this idea of judgment. You know, in, in our minds, we're told because of Jesus, because of the New Testament, that God is a God of love. We've got that. We, that. That's an anchor point. We, we can build on that. God is love. But there's story after story in the Old and the New Testament to where God brings judgment. So which is it? Is He love? Or is He judgment? And that precisely is the problem because we put these two ideas at odds with one another, but they're not. We put love and judgment as a fight between each other, as if judgment is the opposite of love. But it's not. Judgment is not the opposite of love. When a mom or dad judges their child's behavior as wrong and brings some kind of consequence or punishment or spanking or something like that into that child's life, is that, is, is that the opposite of love? I would, I would differ with you that to not correct the wrong behavior of your child is, an exp- is a lack of love. Not just for that child, but for other people and for your own society. You know what I'm talking about? So judgment and love are not at odds. Here's, here's one of the opposites of love. The opposite of love is indifference. I don't, I don't really care. The opposite of love is apathy. I'm not going to do anything about that. I, I really don't care. The opposite of love is coldness, even to the point maybe of hate. That would be the opposite of love, not judgment. So put these two together. If you think this is a really profound thing to think about and you need to think more about it because a lot of people maybe even you have have struggles with this listen to this statement a righteous and just god must judge sin precisely because he does love what would you think about a judge who would let criminals go free we're seeing some of that happening these days don't we what would you think about a judge that lets criminals just go free what what, what kind of world would this be if there were no consequences for wrongdoing it'd be chaos wouldn't it so now so god brings judgment as an act of his grace in order to make things right i mean if you've got a child go back to that most of us can relate because we either have had them or we've been a child so we can relate to that idea when you are correcting the behavior, or we could use the biblical word, if you're bringing judgment of right and wrong into your child's life, you're doing that for the sake of making, not just punishment, but to make them right. Isn't that true? You are literally, when you, when you uh, discipline your child, you are literally planting a seed of righteousness in their heart, saying that this is not acceptable, you, you're going to do right. I hate to keep saying about it, but my childhood left a pretty good impression on me. And my mama did. I mean, my mama, if she walked in here, you wouldn't believe she's my mom because she's like four foot ten. And I don't know what it is about that little four foot ten woman, but she can still kick my tail today. And I'm six foot three and weigh at least 220 pounds. (laughs) That wasn't the funny part of the joke, by the way. But my mama left quite an impression on me about what's right and what's wrong and what's acceptable and how you will behave when you go to certain places. She left quite a, she planted plenty of seeds of righteousness. And the most, the place she planted, it, she liked to plant from the back. Sometimes she planted from the front. My mama didn't have no shame in her game. I mean, I'm talking about if we were in the middle of the store and we smarted off or I did something to my sister or, or, you know, something like that happened. I mean, she was, you know, I'm not recommending you do this. But my mama would slap me in the face. I mean, I had many times. where I'd smart off, and before she even knew what happened, I mean, it's like a a gunslinger in the Wild West. (laughs) Pow! Anybody? My mama was quick draw McGraw, I can promise you. (laughs) And you know what Children's Church was for us? We didn't have it like they do today and have all the fun stuff they did. Children's Church for me was the pew right in front of my mama. Or right beside her. And I promise you, if I acted up, I didn't just know it. Everybody in the church knew it. I told you to be quiet. We can't hear the preacher. <laughs> that was my daddy preaching. <laughs> I'm just telling you, why did she bring that kind of why did she bring that kind of judgment into my world, into my life? Because she wanted me to be the kind of person that had the kind of character that would make right decisions. So she planted seeds. Seeds of judgment. Was it because she didn't love me? No, but it's because she loved me very deeply. And she wanted me to be a, per, a particular kind of person. So does God. Because, see, our world is seriously messed up. We as His people, uh, even us, we, we, we are seriously messed up. You know that? We still got a long ways to go. And what if God did nothing about it? Would He be loved? So Nineveh, God says he's going to bring judgment on Nineveh. Now, this this is kind of a hard thing to swallow for a modern mind. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. And in no uncertain terms, piecing the story together, you go tell them I'm about to wipe the whole place off the map. I mean, the whole culture. I'm I'm talking about all of them. God did that a few times in the Bible, actually. And God tells Nineveh, I'm going to bring severe judgment. I have fierce anger against you. And God's literally going to destroy the whole place along with all the people. We know of at least 120,000 people that live there. Boom. You know, in, in comparison, that'd be like one day we wake up and Montgomery is gone. Montgomery, Alabama is gone. Tuscaloosa is gone. Well, they can start at the football stadium, but that's another dumb story. Never mind. <laughs> oh, somebody said, oh, uh-huh, and the crowd goes, oh, uh-huh. no, no, no. But God is literally fed up. He's fed up with the violence of Nineveh. He's fed up with all the war. He's fed up with all the killing. He's fed up with all the oppression. But God's heart is not to destroy Nineveh, but he says, if you don't stop, I'll have to. That's judgment, isn't it? So, what about Jonah? We see judgment coming into Jonah. He goes the wrong way, the storm comes. And it seems as the story progresses, it, the storm just gets worse and worse. And this great wind becomes greater. But is, is, does God really want to destroy Jonah? I mean, could he have? I mean, he's in the storm, it's pretty cloudy. It wouldn't be no problem for a lightning bolt. You know what I'm saying? It wouldn't be no problem. Strike the ship, burn the deal, hit the dude in the forehead. It wouldn't be no problem for him. But he doesn't. God doesn't want to wipe Jonah out. He wants to judge Jonah in such a way to redeem him. Now, let me ask you this. Now, not everything that happens bad in our life is the judgment of God. Sometimes it's just life. Sometimes things just happen. But sometimes things happen And then other things keep happening and they keep happening and the storm just gets worse and worse. And you and I have got to be of the mind to say, God, are you trying to get my attention? It's always a good, good answer. Good, good question to ask. Are you ever been in a season like that? You ever look back on your past and say, oh, yeah, I needed that storm. I needed that storm because that storm woke me up back to God. And that storm, as terrible as it was, literally saved my life. Hmm. Jonah knows what God is doing. He doesn't ask for forgiveness. So it just gets worse. It just keeps getting worse. It gets, keeps getting worse. All right. Now, so God sends this fish. I'm, I'm almost done. I really am. Okay, God sends a fish. And Jonah ends up in the belly of this fish, of this beast. Okay? He ends up inside the fish. It's a situation of his own making. He's got nobody to blame. He can't blame the sailors. He can't blame his wife. He can't blame his kids. He can't blame God. He did this. And judgment comes into his life as tough love. You ever heard that phrase, tough love? You ever had to give somebody tough love? Tough love? I'm going to tell you, it's a tough thing to give somebody that you love tough love. It it is sometimes. If you ever had to do that, it is terrible. And God's had to do that in my life from time to time. And boy, it was a stormy situation. It was terrible. But thank God for tough love. But in the belly of this beast, now think about this. Think about, I mean, he's not in a hotel room with cable TV. In nice air conditioning. He's in the belly of this beast. the sea monster. He's in the belly of it. And in this dark, desperate place, this is what he says in 2.3. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Now you cast me into the... Who threw him into the water? The sailors did, but... Jonah knew God was working. He said, you did this, God. I'm I'm recognizing you did this. And he hits rock bottom. You know, I've done a lot of my recovery teaching and and classes over through the years and helping people come out of addictions and, and things of that nature and break free from bondages and all that kind of stuff. You find out that almost always in somebody's life, they have to hit rock bottom before they return. In fact, we came up with a saying over somebody's life, you know, because sometimes people struggling with sin, all of us struggling with sin, tend to go back to it from time to time and go back. And we always say this kind of thing. Well, they just hadn't hit bottom yet. Anybody acquainted with that kind of idea? Jonah hits rock bottom and somehow or another in our psyche, rock bottom seems to be the place of returning back to God. And Jonah does. Now he got he got taken very, I mean very plainly, the story says he got taken to the very bottom of the mountains. That's the that's the base of the earth, down there underwater, in the sea, rock bottom. You see what I'm talking about? And still yet, God's judgment was meant to rescue him. let's, Let's pick this up. Go go back. Go to the next slide there. So how do you get next one? How do you get out of the belly of the beast? How do you get out of it? How do you get out of the belly? How do you get out of that storm in that situation? Well, Jonah, it shows us a little bit right there in 2.1, it says this, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. Read that with me. Then Jonah, that's a big word, then, isn't it? Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. Isn't it ironic? Where was the place Jonah returned back to God? Inside of this judgment that was of his own making that God had to prepare for him in order to rescue it. Inside the fish's belly he prayed. And you know what? I found out you can pray some really deep prayers when you've been swallowed up. Gets to the core of who you are and where you are and what you need to do next. Have you ever heard somebody say this kind of thing about their, their rock bottom experience? You ever heard them say... It was the hardest thing I've ever been through, but it was the best thing that ever happened to me. You ever heard anybody say that? Anybody ever said that? I've I've said that before. It was the hardest thing I've ever been through, but it literally saved my life. Jonah's got that testimony. Maybe you do too. So how do you get out? There's this big word in the Bible called repentance. Repentance to repent. Repentance is the way that we are reborn into a new life. We messed up the old one. God says, I will give you a chance for a new one. And that's the idea of repentance. So what, what did Jonah do? Jonah did this. Verse two of two says this, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. Say that with me. I cried out to the Lord. You know, the first step to repentance it's, it's, it's the most simple prayer that you could ever pray. A child can pray it. Anybody in any kind of state of mind can pray it. Here's, the, here's the, one of the best prayers you can pray when you find out you're in the fish's belly. Help! God, help me! It turns out to be the prayer that Peter prayed when he was sinking and drowning too and Jesus, save me! Save me! And that's what saved Jonah. That that whole act right there was the turning of his own heart. He cried out to the God he had been running from the whole time. Hmm. And in verse 7 of chapter 2, it says this. Jonah, speaking. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. There's something about the fainting soul. That denying yourself, that, that humility that has to happen in somebody's life before change comes. See, Jonah, it seems like we, we could use it. We use this kind of word. Jonah had to die before he lived. Maybe that's why Jesus said, take up your cross, because the cross is a place of death. Literally, because the cross comes before resurrection. Isn't that the story? And Jonah, he literally died. He says, my soul, I died inside of me. You know what? This fish was not a fun time. We got a great little story. and We got all kinds of wonderful illustrations and pictures drawn and all kinds of stuff. But if you're Jonah, it's not a pretty picture. It's not some plaque you get at Home Depot or Hobby Lobby. This is a bad time. It's terrible. It's awful. And he's, I I think in his mind, this is it for me. I'm done. You get swallowed up by a sea monster and see how happy you are. It's not a good day. It literally caused his soul to faint. And all that hardness and stubbornness we saw him going through, all that hardness and stubbornness, he's broken. But somehow or another, God is is so miraculous and, and so wonderful and so gracious that he can work better with broken human beings than he can with somebody who thinks they got it all together. Isn't that the way he works? I don't know about you, but that strikes my soul. Jonah finally humbled himself and he stopped fighting God. And it says about this he remembered the Lord. Everybody say that with me. Remembered the Lord. He remembered the Lord. He began to think about God again. All he could think about was getting to Tarshish and his own self and his own ideas and what he wanted to do. But now, in the belly of this beast, he remembers the Lord. His faith is revived, his hope is renewed. New life has now come into this man and a resurrection has happened. You know, it even says that he became thankful. (laughs) Do you know that literally a transformation can happen to you? He's not out of the beast yet. He's still in the problem. He's still in the middle of this judgment, this storm. But he becomes thankful. And he says, God, this is actually good that this has happened to me. Because me trying to get to A new life. I found prison. But you arrested me. And you swallowed me up. And you loved me in such a a severe mercy. and such a grace. That I didn't realize what was happening. But it literally. Is the best thing that's ever happened to me. Sin. It's a power. That only God can break in our lives. He breaks it through the power of forgiveness. But sin always brings judgment. For the wages of sin is... It always brings judgment. But the way out of the beast, the belly of the beast, the way out is repentance. Sin, judgment, and repentance. All all of this comes together in the cross of Jesus. All of this comes together. And, and, and Jesus says that this story of Jonah being in the belly of the, of the, the fish for three days, this story is my story, Jesus says. But I'm, I'm greater than Jonah because what Jonah could never do with all the sin and judgment and repentance, this is what I'm going to do with my death, burial, and resurrection. I am going to pay the price for your sins. I'm going to literally take the judgment of God upon myself, Jesus would tell us, for your sake. And I'm going to give you a place to be able to repent. And come and follow me. And there you'll find new life. All this whole idea of sin and judgment. It's all brought together. In the cross. Let's pray. Thank you Lord. Thank you for your blessing in our lives. Help us. We've talked about some pretty heavy things. And depending on our life circumstances and situations. Lord it. it a message like this strikes us in all kinds of different ways. Lord, I pray for all of us that you would just convince us of your great love. Maybe for some of us, Lord, you've had to bring in some of that tough love. I know it's rescued me from time to time. But Lord, I pray you'd open up the eyes of our heart to see That you long to redeem us. You long to rescue us. That the storms, maybe the swallowing up of all the difficulties and problems, all that's really about our redemption. So today, Lord, we just come before you. We just humble ourselves before you. We need your help. We made a mess. Maybe we're in a mess. We need your help, Lord. Jesus, we believe that you died on on the cross for our sins. That you took our judgment upon yourself. You paid the price of death for us. So that all that believe in you would not have to perish, but could have everlasting life. We thank you for that. We thank you for new life. We thank you for new beginnings. Whatever that may mean. That may mean coming into your kingdom for the first time. That may be a resetting of our lives to start fresh and new again, Lord. Thank you, O gracious Father.